that it's like people that don't believe in Calvinism don't seem to understand the true depth of the sovereignty of God. And we say, we just, we believe in the sovereignty of God, all right? We just, there's some things we don't understand about the future. That song kind of summed it up. We don't know why there's things going on that we don't understand, but we trust that on the other side of it, God has a bigger plan through it and for it and for us. And as we as we love him with all of our heart, as we're the called according to his purpose, he'll make all things work out for good. I don't know how he's got all that worked out with our free will to make choices, but I believe he does, and I believe he gives us free will. I believe we are making the choices we want to make according uh, to the way that he's designed us all in, in that way. He hasn't given us some appetites for sin and some of us appetites for holiness, as, as the claim would be. And, and yet a sovereign God can be in control of everything and still give us the freedom to make those choices within that sovereignty. And we just believe he's a sovereign God big enough to foresee our choices that we make. And so that song, that was a good song. That's a good song even for this season as well. I appreciated that a lot. Matthew chapter, we'll start in Matthew 5. Would you stand one more time in Matthew chapter 5? We'll be primarily um, in chapter 6, but... Well, no, let's go to chapter 6. All right, we'll, we'll just read one verse to start. We'll kind of bounce around a little bit. I don't have a lot to say about coronavirus this morning. Pastor said it all. All right, so just follow him this morning's lead. And so I told our class this morning, sometimes man's wisdom overlaps with God's wisdom. And there's, there's wisdom in, you know, all the hand-washing stuff and the shutdowns that will help slow the progression of it, the exponential spread that they're... Uh, projecting at least, but my faith, though, is not in the wisdom of men, um, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, what Paul told the Corinthian church. And so my hope, my faith, my answer is not in men's wisdom, but truly it is in God. And so we pray and we trust God and we try to help others. We'll carry on in faith and trust that this faith is strengthened through the one that we're asking help from and not asking, not placing our faith in the doctors, but in the God of this creation. And so one of the questions was, have you prayed as much as you've talked about coronavirus? Now, that was a convicting question to me. Have you prayed about it as much as you've talked about it or as much as you've listened to about it? And so that's a, that's a good question for us tonight. But really, I'm, I'm bypassing some of that. We'll just talk about some spiritual spiritual disciplines tonight that affect every Christian all the time. And so Matthew 6.33 is a verse that probably my kids know already. It's a verse you sing as a song and a verse you memorize from a very young age. This is a great summary of the Christian walk with God. Seek ye first, Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And yet there's a whole sermon on the mountain that Jesus had been preaching for a couple chapters and continues to preach into Matthew chapter 7 as well. Um, that is kind of a backstory and further explanation of this. And so we'll talk a little bit about some of those aspects of Jesus' sermon from Matthew 6. So let's pray. Father, again we bow before you and if... if seeing our world unravel and the power that we have over even our own ability to get food and get common supplies, if our, if our dependence is shown to be on grocery stores and the shipping lines and that is broken in just a matter of days and that shows 
sometimes where our dependence lies. If, if our dependence is on, on human matters in that way, and you can use something um, like this, like this mix-up and like this coronavirus um, sort of panic buying to show us our, our dependence on something human, may we see that in our spiritual lives and know that every moment of every day we're that dependent upon you for every breath we take and for every beat of our heart is from you. And may we be um, ever, uh, just all the time, uh, just aware of our dependence um, on you for everything. And not every spiritual thing, not only every spiritual thing, but truly every thing that we have and every blessing that you've given to us. And so, God, we acknowledge our dependence on you even now as we listen to the word of God. We acknowledge our dependence on you in helping us to make changes where needed or to throw our dependence upon you or to help us through the disciplines of life to continue on this path you've called us to. And, and so I pray if there's a faltering Christian or a weak Christian or somebody who has given up on the duties or the disciplines of their walk with you, I pray that they'll re-examine those things tonight. And so uh, please help us in these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. It was interesting, I had my whole sermon introduction planned out, and then I got home yesterday from paintball camp talking to my wife about what they had been doing, and they had gone to the library, and she said, we got this cool new reading program, they're giving away in and out hamburgers now if you read five books. I said, that's amazing, that's exactly what my introduction to my sermon was about from when I was a kid, and my mom used to take us to the library, and the reading program was exactly the same. They haven't reinvented it, but it's okay. It's a good program. Read five books, and you get a hamburger from In-N-Out. You take the little certificate with the little stamps on there, or the stickers on there, and you turn that in, and you get a gift certificate for In-N-Out. And I think that's awesome. The goal of that is to is to instill a love for reading in the young people, and they get to check out books and take them home and read them and, and bring them back. And boy, that's, I think that's where I got my love for In-N-Out. That's where it started all right there. And I would just start with just the, you know, the bun and the meat, and then I added cheese to it. And it says, a young kid, I saw my older brother start to get lettuce and tomatoes and the sauce on there and at first it was disgusting but I thought I got to stop being a crybaby and I got to learn to like this stuff and I've got to I've got to choke it down and just force myself if it sounds so good and they say it's so good now now this you know this bun and meat's getting kind of plain so I just learned to like it and just sucked it up and now it's like well that is that's manna that's the manna of of the bible right there it's an in and out burger and it's wonderful it's glorious and so uh that's where I got that but as I was going along the program that's kind of where we would do that every couple weeks you get another hamburger coupon and I would look at my younger brother, and he was reading the baby books. And he was reading books with very few words in them. And I was trying to get five books completed. And he was getting stamps on his notepad, and I was getting stamps on my notepad. And he would read five baby books, and I would read five longer books. And we'd both get one hamburger. <laughs> I'm thinking, this is not adding up. I've got to get books with shorter words in them and more pictures. 
starting to do the math and starting to figure this thing out and get more picture books. And mom wouldn't let us pick just the kids, you know, cardboard books that are, you know, just pictures, baby books. Hey, mom, it just said, read a book. I read a book. A, apple. B, banana. You know, and that's the only word on the page. It was beyond that. And so the... Really, some of those incentive programs, obviously, their goal is to get you to love reading. But all it did for me is got me to love hamburgers. You know, my goal was no longer to be a student and get knowledge from these books. It was to get a hamburger at the end of the week so that I could go to In-N-Out. And, and when, the, when the goal changes, it, it, it changes the process as well. So it's no longer about the goal of reading and knowledge and attainment. But it becomes about the goal of checking off my, my in and out stickers so that I have five check boxes and at the end of the week I can say, I've read, see, I've checked off my list. You've heard of the, the phrase that says, shifting the goalposts. Shifting the goalposts. We have a running joke with some of our guys that we play board games with. We meet up a couple uh, 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 on Tuesday nights and we had a game that we explained the whole uh, rules to Philip Thompson. He's not here tonight. But we explained all the rules to him. You've got to build your little houses. You've got to power those little houses. They'll give you money, and it's great. You build the whole game up, and he goes, okay, how do I win? And that's a good thing to figure out. And we go, ah, we can't really remember. Let's check the Forget checking the rules. Uh, most games are most money wins. I think so when you get most money at the end. Whoever has the most money at the end of the game is going to be the winner. So we're playing this big, long game two, two and a half, three hours later. We get near the end of the game, and the rest of the three of us that knew how the game was playing, subconsciously we knew it wasn't about the most money that wins. So we're building all our little houses. We're spending all our money on these houses, and we come to the end, and Phil is sitting there thinking, why are they spending all their money if most money wins? They, they're doing this thing wrong, and he starts hoarding his money. And he has a stack of cash about like that big in front of him, and we're spending our money buying houses, and all of a sudden somebody hits whatever it is, 17 houses, and we say, I won, I won. And he goes, no, you didn't win. I won. And he starts counting out hundreds of dollars sitting in front of him. And we go, oh, yeah, that's right. It's not about most money wins, actually, Phil. I'm sorry, you lose. It's about whoever has the most houses at the end. He was so mad about that. He was so upset with us. But he just said, forget it, forget it. My game, in my game, I won. Because I have the most money. And you guys told me, most money wins. And so that was the goal he had been building of. That was exactly what he had been building for. And, uh, and yet, that wasn't the actual rules of the game. The game was not most money wins, but most, most houses wins. In some ways, the goalposts had shifted. The, the goal that they were running toward, the goal that they had been building toward, actually was supposed to be way over here, and they were completely off course if they had been going that direction this entire game. The goal of spirituality, the goal of being close to God, the goal of knowing God and drawing nigh to Him had never changed throughout history. There's always been a chance for people to come to God should they desire to do that. In the Old Testament, it was through Israel. And yet when Jesus shows up on the scene, what had developed was a new version of spirituality where they had shifted the goalposts. 
in that knowing God and being close to God was no longer about what God taught, but was what the Pharisees and the religious people had shifted the goalposts and said, you know what, you need to do these religious things in order to be close to God. And they changed spirituality into something completely different so that the only spiritual people of the land were the Pharisees. They were the most spiritual people of the land, and yet they had shifted the goalposts. When Jesus shows up on the scene and he starts preaching, he, he, just, he just blows those goalposts out of the water and says, you know what? No, 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 no. It's not about what the Pharisees have taught you spirituality is. Let me teach you true, humble spirituality. And in chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew chapter 5, skip back to that, look at verse number 1. He starts out with some of these true spiritual disciplines of the heart. Seeing the multitudes, verse 1, he went into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. And so for the next three chapters, he's teaching what the Pharisees have taught is that the goalposts are here. You have to be a great Pharisee in order to be close to God. But no, 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 no. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he goes through these wonderful beatitudes. And then he teaches them that Christians are to be salt. And, and light, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And, and he teaches that through chapter 5. And he teaches about anger, how anger can rip apart a heart. And sin that begins in the heart, it's not just things that are outward. It's not just the Pharisees had taught that sin was all outward. And Jesus says, no, it's inward. The goalposts are wrong if you think it's only the outward things. But I'm talking about anger is, is like the sin of murder. And he takes, teaches about divorce. And he teaches about oaths. And he teaches about vengeance and patience. And he teaches about loving your enemies. All through chapter 5 and into chapter 6. And at the end of chapter 6, after the section we'll be looking at, he continues to teach in this sermon about through chapter 6 and chapter 7, the verse that we read, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve these things. And judge not that ye be not judged. Chapter 7 teaches about spiritual discernment and judgment between what is right and what is wrong. Chapter 7 teaches that. And he talks about the persistence of prayer and false prophets who will teach wrong doctrines and building your life on a firm foundation and not on the sand, which will just get washed away with the, with the uh, rising tides and that you ought to build your spiritual house on the rock, on the rock of Jesus Christ. Now, all these are ethereal kind of conceptual truths that Jesus is teaching through the Sermon on the Mount forgiveness and anger, all these things that are internal. These are attitudes. These are ways to control the spirit. This is about self-control. This is about the things that I control on my heart. This is the things that I think. This is some things that I should know and believe. There's many conceptual things. And yet at the beginning of chapter 6, it's not that it's not that Christianity is all just conceptual. It's not that it's only about things. It's not that it does not affect what we do. So chapter 6, he takes a little bit of a twist 
for many of these conceptual things where he had been saying, seek first the kingdom of God. Okay, I guess I can do that, but what do I do? Well, seek first the kingdom of God. All right, got it. And uh, don't have anger in your heart. Okay, if I don't show anger? No, no, don't have it in your heart. Oh, that's, it's hard to get that. And, and, and judge not that you be not judged. Don't, you need to have discernment between what is right and wrong. Get the beam out of your own eye before it's out of another. And, and, and help other people. Be helpful. Okay, so how do I do that? When we have Bible stories with our kids at breakfast time, we go through two or three, four a week around the breakfast table, and we'll talk about the Bible story for a couple days, and then the Bible story book that we're going through, kind of a school curriculum type thing, that it'll do a couple days of Bible stories, which are conceptual, but then it does a couple days of fiction stories, and it talks about a child about their age in a situation that relates to the Bible stories that they are talking about. If it had been creation and God's control over creation, then it's a fictional story then about that. And then some review questions for the kids to help them take the conceptual arguments from Scripture and bring them down to, what does John and Sally do in this situation? We have a board game that's kind of like that too, called Sticky Situations. I played that when I was a kid. The old McGee and Me uh, uh, board game that it's kind of like Candyland or Shoots and Ladders kind of thing where you're following a track and you can go up a level or slide down a level. And if you land on a green space and you pull out a card and you read the card and it's got kind of a sticky situation that these kids are in. And it might be, man, your friend Riley is so smart and you didn't study for the math test. He leans over to pick up his pencil that he dropped on the floor and his answers to his test are completely filled out on his desk. What do you do? And you flip over the card and there's four different responses you can do in a sticky situation like that. You can look at his test, you can steal his answers, you can look away, you roll the dice and figure out what it is that you do or your character does. And if it's a bad, if you, if you look at his answers and you cheat, it penalizes you and you go back four spaces or you go back a whole level. And if you choose to shield your eyes and try to get the test scores that you know you've chosen, then God rewards you and you take a couple steps forward. And all that's doing, though, is just putting regular situations into these young people's minds to say, look, I know the Bible says thou shalt not steal. That's one of the Ten Commandments. But what does it mean? Does it actually mean like stealing answers off of somebody else's test? Yes, it does. And it's taking the conceptual and making it into something concrete that children can understand and actually do. It's this training time for help to help them make sense. In some ways, Matthew 6 is a way to take the conceptual spiritual doctrines that Jesus had been teaching and saying, look, Christianity is about some disciplines that we do have to do. And there are some things that, that, that will be outward. And although it seems like the Pharisees have the corner on the market on outward spirituality, Jesus says, no, they're doing it all wrong. They seem to be spiritual because everything they do is on the outside. But look at verse number 1 of chapter 6. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. 
Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Look down at verse number five. Uh, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. Verse seven, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask of them. How about verse number 16? Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Um, verse 18, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father, which is in secret. And so we have, um, we have, a, uh, we have a bag of money here. We have our bag of money for, do I have somebody that's going to be a very rich man? Do I have a volunteer that would like to be a very rich man? Anybody over here? would like to be very, very rich. Alex, you're very rich. You are so rich. Here you go. And um, this I did not sterilize. So I'm going to give it to my son because he plays with this in my office. I know it says they sound a trumpet. But this was our duck call from, uh, you know, the, uh, the duck riding the ducks, one of those amphibious vehicles you can take tours on on the lake. They drive it straight down into the lake, and then it turns into a boat. They gave everybody on that boat one of these duck calls, and it kind of sounds like this. Go ahead and give us a... There we go. Yeah. There's our trumpet. Give it a little bit louder. Yeah, there we go. There we go. He's a Pharisee sounding the trumpet. Stand up, Alex. Look at this guy. He is sounding the trumpet. You're sounding the trumpet for, for offering time. All right, so there's the offering trumpet. And now here comes Alex with his bag of money. Show everybody your bag of money. And it's offering time. And show them how much money you're donating to our offering today. Wow. He is so, he's got money to just throw around the church. He's so rich. And he's so generous. And, and it's like he's sounding the trumpet. Yeah, it's offering time. And he wants everybody to know how rich and generous he is. Oh, what a wonderful man. You can have a seat for a second. I might call on you in a second as well. And then we have a, a praying person. Do we have a praying volunteer? Anybody over here that's not? Oh, yes, Eric. You're a very holy person. You can stand up right there and give us, a, give us a wonderful praying pose. How do you pray, holy man of God? Oh, that's wonderful. Look at that holy person back there. Oh, he's so holy. He has the ear of God. He might need, he might need a trumpet too. Yeah, well, it's our call to prayer. This is our, this is our Muslim call to prayer. If they had duck calls, I wouldn't be as mad about them, you know, putting a, be kind of laugh five times a day. I don't know if we could stand that there. Oh, yes, this is our holy man of God with the, with the call to prayer. He's such a holy person. He has the ear of God. He obviously is a very spiritual person because everybody knows that he is a praying person. 
And verse number 16. Thanks, Eric. You can have a seat. I might call you back for that wonderful praying pose in a second. Do we have somebody that, verse number 16, oh, man, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. I'm so hungry. Oh, they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Do we have somebody that is so hungry? Somebody who's been fasting for so long. Anissa? Okay, Anissa, stand up and say, I'm so hungry. Yes! Oh, poor Anissa. She's so hungry. Oh, she hasn't had food for weeks, probably. Boy, she's such a holy person because she's fasting. And look at this rich guy over here. There's a offering time. Show us how rich you are. Wow, he's so rich and generous. And look at this other holy man back here, Eric. Oh, it's a call to prayer. He's going to his prayer time. We have a fasting person and a praying person and a generous person. They're wonderful people. We say, okay, what's spirituality? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Okay, Jesus is teaching us about, he's saying we're shifting the goalposts, but I don't understand it. Spiritual people, isn't this what we're supposed to do? Isn't spirituality like giving? I mean, doesn't that seem, why is, why is Jesus saying not like the Pharisees? We're supposed to give, aren't we? And, and, and aren't we supposed to fast? And aren't we supposed to... No, pray, and aren't we supposed to fast? What's the deal? I thought that is spiritual because that's what the Pharisees have taught us. They disfigure their faces and they sound a trumpet and they give and everything is so showy and outward. And, and boy, aren't the, aren't the friars and the priests and the holy men of God with their robes, aren't they the most spiritual people in the whole world? Because they go to monasteries and they wear funny uniforms and aren't they very spiritual people? And Jesus says, no, they're not. Actually, they're the opposite of spiritual. They're as wicked as the devil. Because what they have is a goal, not of pleasing God, not of drawing close to God, but a goal of checking off the in and out boxes. The goal of following the program instead of drawing nigh to Jesus Christ himself, instead of drawing nigh to God. Jesus says about them, look at these verses again. Jesus says about these people, uh, verse, number, verse number two, don't, don't sound thine alms, don't sound a trumpet before thee. The end of verse number two, they have their reward. They want to be seen as generous people. They have their reward. Verse number five, praying people that pray in public and pray to be seen. The end of verse number five, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Their goal was to get the checkbox. Everyone views them as a very spiritual person. They have their reward. Verse number 16, the end of verse number 16. Verily I say unto you, these that fast and disfigure their faces, oh, I'm so hungry. Verily I say unto you, well, they have the reward. We pity them. Boy, what a wonderful spiritual person because of the outward appearance of spirituality. And Jesus says, no, their goalposts have moved. They're not spiritual. That's not what, that's not what their, where, where their faith is placed. And many times... Uh, Christians, and, and, and we could even take it uh, to that level where we say Baptists, and you dress up for services, and you have Sunday night church, and you meet, yeah, I can't believe you're meeting during coronavirus season, and boy, are you super spiritual people, and you dress up all the time, and sometimes the outward things that, that make up what our life is become statements about our faith, 
rather than having true faith. I'm not saying there's anybody that's not saved. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying if you're more about the statement than you are about the faith, you're doing it wrong. That's according to Jesus Christ. The Pharisees were more about the statement than they were about the God that they were trying to make the statement about. They were more about being seen of men, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. They have their reward. It looks like they have faith, but there's no substance there. The faith, their faith is in other people seeing them, not a faith in God. Their faith is in being seen of men. And their Christian, I mean, their, their version of religion was all about externals and how they look to other people. And if your faith is only in the externals and how you look to other people, well, I dress better than them. I act better than them. But if there's all these internal things that Jesus Christ is hitting at, saying if your goalpost is this, Jesus might be moving the goalpost and saying, no, true spirituality is to know God on the inside as truly the source of that faith. And Jesus says it's, it's not about that. Look at um, verse, number, verse number two again. Here's our rich man. He's so generous. And he's such a rich person, I can't believe him. In verse number three, No, when thou doest thine alms, let not thine right hand know what thy, le- thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. I mean, giving is good. We still need to give, yes. But when you do give... Verse 4, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. As opposed to the hypocrites, which is a word for actors, playing the part of a spiritual person, he says a truly spiritual person will be a giving, generous person, rich or not, that's not the key, that's not the point. A truly spiritual person will be a generous person, not to be seen of men, but because he sees that there are needs in other people's lives, and he'll give to them, not to be seen of anybody, but he'll do it in secret. Whether he gets glory from it, whether he gets the ornamentation of being seen as a rich and a generous person or not, that's not the point. Because his faith is not in what other people think about him. His faith is in a God that uses him and and chooses to bless him to meet somebody else's needs. And my alms, God, you've blessed me with so much and you've bestowed your grace upon me. Here's somebody else that needs something more than I need it. I've got a jumbo pack, a 24-pack of toilet paper, and I don't need that much. Somebody else needs it more than me. And I'm a generous person, not because I want to be seen as a generous person, but because there are needs out there. It's a true heart that wants the best for others. I have plenty and others have need and God can use me to fulfill that need. Then I want to get in on that cycle. And giving, giving alms, giving to other people is just a way to say that, that, that this is my way of providing, a way of being a conduit of God's blessings. And this can, be, this can be through the church, this can be through, man, if you have extra time this week, or you have kids, or high school kids, or college age young people, or college people that, that, want to, that have extra time, and you can wait in the lines at Winco and somebody else can't, and you say, you know what, I was blessed to be there, and I'm blessed to have all this extra time now, I can wait through those lines, I can find some things, I can be a shopper for somebody else, and I can donate that to other people. If it's something like that, that somebody that you know has a need, that could be a possibility. It could be that you have extras in your house and you know that somebody needs a, 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 an emergency provision in some way. That, that could be. Maybe my wife had some diapers left over, just kind of saving it for a, um, 
baby shower one day, perhaps. She messaged uh, Dorothy. She's about the only one with a baby right now. Hey, do you need diapers? Yeah, I'm okay for a little while, but you never know. Sometimes the diapers and the wipes on the shelves are wiped out. If you happen to be walking by a, a shelf of something that, well, my family doesn't need that, what if somebody else might need it? A giving person is not about just what my family needs and my needs and I'm going to force everybody my way through this crowd. I'm going to be the first one to get there. Maybe somebody else has a greater need than you. And Jesus says true spirituality is not in being seen and posting it on Facebook. I gave the last toilet paper roll to the person next to me, even though I made it there first. Jesus says, oh, you have your reward if you got some likes on Facebook out of that. That's not the point. The point is, I want to be able to give and help other people. And these are just common examples I'm just talking about. Using, using what we have to give. Outwardly generous can be, can be seen, sure, but, uh, but I'm talking about just giving. Just letting it continue to be a part of your life. The Bible teaches about tithing. That's a tenth of my income, a tenth of your income, whatever comes in. God's blessed you with 100%. 10% of that goes out. We, uh, we tithe to our local church that keeps the lights on, the beautiful pews you have to sit in, and the wonderful facilities that we have here. And the tithe is the Lord's. That continues. That can be through the offerings. The offerings is um, uh, another chance to give above the tithe. That's just a way to keep our missionaries supplied. We have it so much better in America than it sounds like they're having in the rest of the world. Sounds like they're running out of everything. We have missionaries in Italy, and they're locked down. We have missionaries in China. They're locked down. Who knows how many supplies that they have had in their little homes, if they're being quarantined in their homes. Who knows how stir-crazy they're getting and want to hear. Our offerings are a chance to be able to donate outside of our walls. And But guess what? You're probably not going to be known for your offerings, especially if you give through the app. Nobody sees that. Maybe our treasurer will see uh, who that was. Pastor doesn't even see the names. It's just kind of a bulk sum of the offerings. But that's a great way to be able to donate. And it's, it's uh, uh, basically anonymous. That's scriptural in the sense that it's saying, it's not about me. It's not about showing how great of a generous giver I am. But truly biblical giving is just saying, God's graced me with so much. I want to be able to have my hand open for other people to use. And yes, I might lose some. Yes, I might get burned. Yes, I might... I might lose a little more than I was expecting. And yes, I might hurt the pocketbook a little bit. But that's kind of the point. Jesus says, it's all mine. Trust me, trust me, trust me. Look at the end of verse 4. That thine alms may be in secret, and the Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Amen. Giving is a spiritual discipline. It's one of those things that if you say I'm a Christian, he says this is one of those ways you can express your Christianity I've got a bag of rice, or I've got extra flour, I've got a bag of beans that I can share. And, and, and if you have that open hand, it's like God says, you keep your hands open and I'll refill them for you to be able to keep on giving out to other people as well. If you do that in secret, not to be seen, but truly out of a heart to give to other people, then I'll keep refilling those open hands. And praying, another one of those things that we do, verse 5, when thou prayest, don't be like the hypocrites sounding the call, Think, wow, he has the ear of God. He's a wonderful praying person. He's a very holy person. Verse 6 says, no, shut the door and pray to the Father. Verse 9, this is how you pray. Start like this. Hallowed be thy name. 
Meaning, start by just recognizing God on His throne. God, you know everything that's going on in my life. And then verse number 11 is where you start to express your needs. After you've spent the time adoring and honoring God, verse number 9 and 10. Now, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Our prayers are to be modeled in this way, starting by recognizing God as the source and then, and then imploring that God to help us with our needs. And then verse 12, forgiveness for sins. In verse 13, God, would you help me in these times of temptations? As much as you talk about it, pray about it, use this, for this, this time of, of prayer. Use this time. We're coming to the point where maybe last week coronavirus felt like a joke and this week it felt like, boy, some people from the rooted class uh, uh, lost their jobs or lost hours or cut back from school and are home from school now. They're feeling it and they're needing prayers and they're needing, they're needing a little bit of help. And it's like this is starting to, it, we're starting to really feel it now. And this is a little different than just kind of a passing joke. This is starting to get serious. And it takes the President of the United States to call for a national day of prayer before we realize it. Oh no, has it come to this? Has it come to, do I have to pray about it now? Jesus says, no, it should be, that should be like our first response. And that should be the, the, the first thing that we do all the time. And fasting, oh, I'm so hungry, I'm so hungry. We see Anissa as a very disciplined person. She's very outwardly disciplined because she fasts so well. And she's such a holy person. If you're just doing it to be seen of men, you're just going to be a miserable, hungry person. That's all, that's all fasting does. It just makes you hungry. But when you're hungering for God and you're using, you're using fasting as a way to strip out all the extras of your life, which is a sort of what, what the purpose of fasting is, is to strip away the non-essentials of your life, to remind you of your need and your hunger for Jesus Christ, is to, is to take away all the preoccupations of life, to remove those things out of your life and to use that, that hunger and every time you want to reach for a piece of food to... Remind you to pray to God about something. Remind you to draw nigh, to truly to draw nigh to God, not to be seen of anybody else, but truly to use fasting as a means to God, not as a means to being seen of men. Jesus says that kind of fasting, verse 18, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. I'm not going to tell anybody I'm fasting because I want to be seen as a spiritual person, but I'm really fasting and seeking God and allowing Him to strip away any of these things out of my life to remind me of my dependence upon Him. God says, when you do that, yeah, I'll reward you openly. I'll take care of you. I see your dedication and your devotion. These disciplines might seem like hard things to do. Boy, prayer the right kind of way is kind of hard. Fasting the right kind of way is kind of hard. Nobody's going to know. What good is that? And, and giving the, the right kind of way. Nobody's going to see my giving statement. I want them to know what a generous and a rich person I am. Jesus says, no, you're moving the goalposts. The right kind of giving and fasting and praying. And these things that can be outward are really not outward things at all. They're, they're sourced from the heart once again. And over time, as you develop these spiritual disciplines... Your love for the Father grows. 
And you're doing it in secret, meaning that you know it's just between you and God. Your faith in God deepens. That you know in secret, it, it, you can't visibly see God, but you know you're drawing nigh to Him and He's drawing nigh to you. And you can't physically see Him, but, but you know that as you fast and as you pray and as you give and you try to help people, you know that as, as many smiles as you get off people, they pale in comparison to the smile of the Father. And you know that as you draw nigh to the Father, it's like, oh, this is so sweet. And this is so precious in my relationship with God. My, my relationship with God is truly growing. And I'm, I'm getting closer to God. I don't even care about what other people think about me anymore. And it's no longer about what people think, but it's like, oh, I want to keep on fasting more. And I want to keep on praying more. And I want to keep on giving more because it's not about me and it's not about my disciplines and then it stops feeling like discipline and duty to give. And it's my duty to pray and I have to force myself into it. It's like if somebody's ever complimented you about something you love to do, it doesn't feel like discipline. Somebody that loves basketball, boy, he's such a devoted basketball player. He practices that move. He's so disciplined. And the guy just goes, no, I just love basketball. This is what I do because I love it. Oh, he's such a good dad. She's such a good, disciplined mom. She loves those kids so much. She does everything for them. He does everything for those kids. And for... No, it's not because I'm such a disciplined, hardcore person. I'm not such a strong dad that I have to force, i got to do my duty and be a dad. Oh, this is so rough. No, I love my kids, and dads, great dads, love their kids. And it's not a discipline that you have to slog through because you have to be a good mom, I guess. It's because you love your kids. It's because the source of that drive is coming from love. And it's like Jesus is saying, look, when your goalposts are off, then yeah, your faces are going to be disfigured. And yeah, you're going to be want to be impressive to all those people. But when you're truly seeking after God and a love for God, the disciplines that make up this Christian walk are no longer disciplines. They're truly the source of my joy. They're truly the things that help me keep on going. They're truly the way that I can smile through temptations, the way I can smile through afflictions, the way I can smile through tribulations. It's the way I can like, oh, that's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. Oh, that's what it means when I pray. I, I pray in secret. And I'm just talking to the Father. And I fast in secret and, and I'm drawing closer to the Father. And I'm getting closer to Jesus Christ. And this is, the, this is the beauty of it. That I'm not just checking off my in and out boxes as if my goal is something that I'm going to get out of it. But truly the the discipline itself is the beauty itself. Peter Forsyth uh, said this, when uh, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. The first duty of every soul is not to find his freedom, what can I do, but his master. Who can I do my life for? Who can I serve with my life? My, my, my duty is to draw nigh to God and, and yes, I'm going to be at church and yes, these things that are part of my life, I'm going to be at outreach, I'm going to be part of giving out the Great Commission and these are the top level missions, these are the things that I'm doing in my life and, and yet all of those are driven from my heart for God. 
That everything that you're, that you're called to do as a Christian is sourcing from your heart to love God. It's not going to happen in just a little bit here and a little bit there, but it's going to be in parents training children to have the right, the right fervency, the right check boxes. It's not about just checking off the box, reading your Bible just because mommy and daddy told you to, but you need to know God when you're reading your Bible. You need to pray to God when you're praying. You need to ask God about helping the missionaries. It's not just about, it's not about the words we say in praying. It's about talking to God. And the disciplines and the duties of life fade away when you realize my spiritual life is not just about punching a clock. It's not just about checking a box. It's not just about getting a hamburger from in and out because I did my duties. But I'm truly seeking first the kingdom of God. Oh, spiritual people, Pharisees, I'm so hungry, I'm so rich, I'm such a great person. No, no, no. Not like those outward things. Doing it the right way is when God sees it and you're doing it for God. That's true spirituality that Jesus taught. Stand if you would, please. and We'll close tonight with a word of prayer, an invitation, a chance for you to say, maybe there are some things I've been, my focus has been on the, on the outward, the way that I've only been doing this thing because I thought I could be seen as a spiritual person. I've only been doing these disciplines and they haven't been really drawing me close to God after all. And Jesus says, no, the right way to draw nigh to God is, is by doing it the right way, having the source of your, uh, of your life being this. 611 is where we're going to sing tonight. Take my life and let it be. Our invitation time is just a short time after the service. You've heard the word. And the disciplines of life you're reminded about once again. And yet, this is just our chance to respond to God now. He's spoken to you. Our chance to just say, you know what, God, I want to I renew. Maybe not my fervency. Maybe I have been fervent about these things, but I want to renew the source of that fervency. I, wanna, I, I want these things to draw me nigh to you. I no longer want to check off a box. I want to be truly closer to you from doing these things. We're going to pray. Brother Grissom's going to sing. And that's our chance to respond to God. Our Father, even at this time of prayer right now, as, as I speak, as everyone's hearts are, are open, it's not that the congregation is listening to me. It's not even that I'm talking to myself. It's truly that I acknowledge your presence and I speak to you out loud. And, and we're drawing before you. We're coming boldly to your throne of grace. And you teach us in the word and we trust it by faith that when we speak this way that your ear is open to us and you hear us and you incline your ear to us. And that's a humbling thought. You as the creator want to hear from us. And so in this time, we as church members of Calvary Baptist Church will come before you and we beg for your help and we, we acknowledge our dependence on you and we want everything that we do to not draw us down the Pharisee's path, but truly to draw us closer to you. Help us to discern the difference, to be able to see the difference. God, truly, like the song says, take my life, let it be consecrated to you as we bow before you now in this invitation time. Please help us in Christ's name. Amen. Brother